Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. If you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And today I have my guest, co-host and media consultant for the Herald, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? I'm John. How are you? I'm doing good. We also have with us circulation director, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? I'm doing good, John. As always, always, it's good to be here. Good to have you. We also have our Herald intern, Suhana Sinhan. How are you doing today, Suhana? I'm doing fantastic, John. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. And today we have our special guest, Monteus Walton, the Wright State University Lake Campus Assistant Coach and Recruiter Coordinator. How are you doing today, Monteus? doing great, John. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. Now, before we head into our main topic, let's head into some of the top news topics of the week. House Democrats have passed legislation that would strengthen the landmark civil rights era voting law weakened by the Supreme Court over the past decade. It's a step partly leaders are touting as progress in their quest to turn back voting restrictions advanced in Republican-led states. The John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act passed Tuesday on a 219 to 212 vote. No Republicans voted for the bill. The bill is named after John Lewis, the former Georgia congressman who died last year. It faces dim prospects in the Senate where they do not have enough votes to overcome opposition from Republicans who have deemed it unnecessary and as a power grab. Andrea, your thoughts on this news topic? I, I think it is, it's gonna be an interesting fight in the, um, in the Senate regarding the voting rights bill because the Republicans continue to block no matter what. They, they know that if this bill goes through that their chances of the country voting for the Republican party will dim. I'm not gonna say it's gonna go away altogether, but majority of the country don't vote Republican. And I think that they would rather limit the chances of a fair fight and increase their chances by cheating. And um, I, I think it's gonna be interesting to watch the arguments and who blocks the bill in the Senate and um, see whether or not the Democrats get their gumption up and do what they need to do to get this passed. You know, I, I just think that it's time to man up and do what is right for the country mm-hmm. and not for party and we'll see what happens. Wade, your thoughts on this story? Yes, this should be a very interesting uh, fight for this bill to pass in the Senate. Uh, Cause what, what they were trying to, to do with this bill is basically to uh, protect the American right to vote. They're trying to uh, give back what was taken from them uh, with uh, the Supreme Court in 2016. Uh, they kind of gutted the Voters' Right Act of uh, 1965. And uh, that, that right was reauthorized by the Congress in 2006. But like I said, in 2016, the Supreme Court pretty much gutted it. And uh, this would be a very interesting, like Ms. Carter said, to see who votes for it, how many senators uh, on the Republican side might step forward, even though uh, at the time they're saying they're not. I'm sure we will probably get a few of them that will. We talk about another one of the topics that will later they tie in together and something that everybody needs to take a close look at. And uh, hopefully it will be pushed. Um, Suhana, what are your thoughts on this topic? 
Um, John, I believe if this law passes, it will be a direct attack on normal citizens' fundamental rights. Something uh, simple as the tradition of voting getting affected and such obscure laws getting coming in place that are hindering already pre-existing situations which should further be looked into for further improvement and not getting into restrictions is absolutely ridiculous and uh, I can understand Republican might be backed by a lot of people who are not in favor of lead uh, democratic leaders who are right now in power. So I, I can see they are doing everything in their mind to get that power back again to them. But uh, we are currently in, the liberals are currently, currently in power and they're trying their best to do what currently the majority thinks is the best for the country. And I don't think anytime soon we should be worried about anything drastic happening. And uh, I hope the future elections go well and the voting on this goes well too. You know what uh, I forgot to mention, John, about this is the march that's going to happen on Saturday, which oh, will emphasize the, the effort um, to sort of put pressure on the Senate to do what is right. And there's not only going to be a march in D.C. with a number of organizations joining the larger march that's going to happen, there are also going to be satellite marches around the country as well. I don't know the details for what's gonna happen here in Cincinnati, but from what I heard, there's gonna be um, uh, something that's gonna happen this weekend as well here in Cincinnati to emphasize the, the need for this bill to pass regarding voting rights. Moving on to our next story. While he and his wife remain hospitalized in the Chicago hospital after positive COVID tests, the Reverend Jesse Jackson told the black press that he remains vigilant in fighting for freedom, justice, and equality. In an exclusive telephone conversation from his hospital bed on Sunday, August 22nd, the renowned civil rights leader expressed his ongoing support for vaccinations while explaining why his wife, Jacqueline, had not received the vaccine. I've had both my shots, Reverend Jackson said in the telephone call from Northwestern Memorial Hospital. My wife did not receive the vaccine because she has a pre-existing conditions that were of concern. Jackson maintained the importance of vaccination, knowing that there are more um, stronger variants of the coronavirus. He said he and Jacqueline are receiving the best of care. Andrea, your thoughts on this news topic? I think it just goes to show Reverend Jackson is one of those breakthrough cases of you do everything right, get vaccinated, take care of yourself and you can still get it. And he is older, he is 79 with pre-existing conditions. His wife is 77 mm -hmm. with pre-existing conditions. They did everything right to protect, or at least as you hope that they did everything right to protect themselves, but this Delta variant is very serious. And I think everyone needs to do what they can to protect themselves you know, against this variant. I think those who are not vaccinated, I think you're seeing an increase in vaccination as this variant is hitting closer to home for a lot of people than ever before. People who have poo-pooed it, you're seeing now that, you know, the, the most recent was the gentleman who was the um, conservative radio show host, who at the last minute said everyone needs to get the vaccine because he recognized that it's not a joke. Unfortunately, he passed. And you're seeing, well, you're hearing more and more stories like this. This pandemic is not a joke. If you don't believe the science, educate yourselves, find trusted 
trusted sources to give you the right information. There's so many naysayers out there, so many anti-vaxxers, so many white ring supremacists are joining in with the anti-vaxxers to not to promote just their agenda, but other agendas as well. So people can see what's going on or fight against, you know, the authority figures who's in the know. And when it comes down to, it's about saving you, saving me, saving the country. Um, we can't get back to what is normal as well as we want to until this thing is let. And I think very slowly it's going to come down to a mandate, not just from the government, but from businesses to get people vaccinated because eventually the liability of this, of this deadly disease is going to affect everybody. Uh, Suhana, your thoughts on this story? John, I personally believe that everybody is allowed to have their own opinion on things. Many of us with the evidence in front of us and with our own research, we have come to this conclusion that vaccination is the right course of action in this pandemic. Uh, But there are still few or many who are not in the same boat. Now, if it was just nothing, nobody could, if it was just your everyday flu, nobody could have forced you to go and get your flu shots. It's okay. It's on you how you deal with your flu. With the number of cases rising and people running out of resources and how the rest of the world is suffering, like the people who think that this vaccination is dangerous for you should take a better look at the places who are extremely suffering without this existence of the vaccination. We experienced a huge reduced number of cases. A lot of people were able to get by. Many countries are experiencing a lot of safety numbers because of the increased circulation of the vaccination. But if you don't take this vaccination, you are taking a greater chance against something monstrous that's going in the nature. Now, I don't know what you believe, how this vaccine, how this virus is created. Is it just directly from bat or is it some crazy creation to kill half the human human population? But in any case, if survival is the thing that people are looking for, for themselves and their family and well-being of the society, I think for once they should try to see beyond themselves and get protected maybe this might help but you really cannot convince anybody who doesn't want to be convinced but i'm sure there are many who are changing their minds while we are talking right now moving on to our next topic august 28th 2021 marks the 58th anniversary of the march on washington groups are expected to gather on the national mall in washington dc to demonstrate against voter suppression According to the March On website, they believe their voting rights are under attack. In January, they say 48 states introduced bills that would lead to voter suppression. These laws suppress voting methods that enrich our democracy and lead to high turnout, banning ballot drop boxes and mail-in voting, reducing early voting days and hours, restricting who can get a mail-in ballot, prohibiting officials from promoting the use of mail-in ballots even when voters qualify, even criminalizing the distribution of water to voters waiting in the long lines these laws create, the organization said. Andrea, your thoughts on this uh, news topic and the March on for voting rights this Saturday? 
I think one is it, it marks the historic March on Washington way back in the early 60s. And, you know, I've attended a number of other commemorative marches on this. And this is the best way to express your opinion on what needs to be done for the sake of the country. I find it interesting that um, the plight uh, that, well, I shouldn't say plight, but the issues that the um, Black community has fought so long and hard for eventually benefits the entire country. And the country still continues to ignore when we fight for something, other people don't step up and take notice and do the right thing. And I, I think in this year of revelation, Me Too, we're not gonna take it anymore. I, I, I think this is a new day and a new dawn for civil rights, voting rights, and the fact that the black and brown community are not taking it anymore. Um, we, we are stepping up and demanding that you fix what the Supreme Court broke, you fix what is right for democracy, you fix what is right for the country. And, you know, we always teach our kids that if you do the right thing, whether it works out or not, you do the right thing. And I think it behooves the government today to do the right thing. But when you have a group of individuals who are scared of the future and want to control the future and try to put things in place to control that future, eventually it's going to, there's going to be a backlash on them. And um, I think that day is coming. Wade, your thoughts on the March for Voting Rights? Well, it ties right in with the, the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Advancement Bill, right on time for that. Uh, the, then the voices of the people uh, to, to uh, get the bill to pass. Uh, this is, is uh, going to be an iconic event again. Uh, the last one, as we know, was, was huge. Uh, but I think that one of the things they have to look out for is the, uh, the possibility of the other element trying to provoke violence for this uh, showcase to make it uh, have a negative effect. So I think they should be on the watch for that. But uh, this uh, event, if you go to the website, the March On for Voting Rights website, you'll see that it has a lot of people and organizations that have, have partnered with it. I mean, there are just tons of organizations that have made sure that they were a part of this. If you go through the website, and you, it, you just scroll down and you see organization after organization that uh, are a part of this. So we're going to have a lot of support. A lot of people are coming out, both black and white. Uh, and I think that uh, this might give it the extra push they need to go through. Because I think you're going to see a few Republicans that, that step away from their, their counterparts and, and, and go forward. Suhana, your thoughts on the story? I think, John, uh, we always used to complain that nobody really cares. Everybody just sits and talks about the problems and uh, or just ponders about how things are going to be right. But nothing happens. As a kid, we had so many instances like this. But now, the minute we hear a, a, a bill like this is going to be passed, 
people have already gathered their support and gathered their voices and are trying to do something about it, trying to reach as many people as they want, as many people as they can to help this cause and situation. And I think this is this makes situation still a little hopeful, despite we are fighting against the most basic fundamental rights. It's still a little hopeful situation that things will be in favor of ordinary citizens. So let's see how the march goes. Uh, I'm more excited to learn how the marching results. What does this actually favors the whole cause or what it leads to, God knows. Because next thing what we know is that we find oppositions planning a march together and I don't want to give ideas out there, but God knows what we are expecting next. So fingers crossed. Moving on to our next story. At this point, Cincinnati voters will select new council members in November from a field of 43 candidates who met the August 19th deadline for filing, the most ever since the council manager form of government was adopted in 1925. All candidates' signatures must be certified by September 7th in order to be added to the ballot, so the number could drop. Craig Landsman is the sole incumbent council member running for re-election on the ballot. Three of the original elected council members either resigned or were suspended on federal corruption charges uh, during council in 2020. They were replaced by appointed council members to fill out their terms. Republicans Steve Gooden and Liz Keating, along with Democrat Jan Michelle Lemon Kearney. Earlier, Republican Betsy Sunderman was appointed to council to replace Amy Murray, who resigned that year to take a job in the Trump administration. Council members Wendell Young and Chris Sealback, both Democrats, and Christopher Smitherman, an independent, can't run for re-election because of the city term limits law. The same goes for Democrat David Mann, who is running for mayor against fellow Democrat and current clerk of courts, Aptap Perryville. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? I'm getting my popcorn together because this is going <laughs> to be an interesting race. I mean, this is, depending upon who you um talk about people are voting or supporting individual um, candidates. Um, I went through the list. I have my top 15 that I think have a good shot of getting elected onto city council. Some are new names, some are old favorites. Name this In this race, name recognition is going to be um, the name of the game. But at the same time, I say, it's more than just name recognition, it's branding. Who has been around the longest? Who has been known the longest? Whose views are known the longest? Who's gotten out there? I know there's some new names out there who've been all over the place. You see them everywhere. But the problem is, is that you haven't seen them outside of the election year. Um, I will say case in point, Brian Gary has been fighting and running for a long time but he's known for getting people together on various issues and making sure that people know about, you know, things that are affecting neighborhoods. Michelle Dillingham has been another person who outside of the election year has been in the paper, has been making issues known. You, you have your old favorites. Kevin Flynn has been quoted on and off for a while outside of the election year. Jim Tarbell, his name pops up every once in a while. Charlie Winburn, um, who's been on city council twice already, is now at the last minute shooting for a third time. 
he may be a shoe in he may not be a shoe in I mean, the last three races he's run, he has not been elected. Um, so he's taking a step back to what he knows he can, where he can win um, easily, which is city council. He may win a seat just because he hasn't been that long since he's been off city council, but he knows how to govern a city. He knows how to get things done. And uh, various members of the Cincinnati community trust him because he's, pro he's proven he gets things done. And I think that's what's going to come down to who has proven that they can get things done and shown what they know. So I would tell everyone, get your popcorn out, put your feet up and start enjoying the race and listen to the rhetoric. Because I think the mayor's race is going to be surprised. I think the city council race is going to be a surprise because where else basically you've got eight seats up for election. And, you know, Greg Landsman, he's a shoo-in because he's being reelected. People already know him. Everyone else who's new still got to prove themselves. And it's a good shot. I think Jen Michelle Kearney, um, I think Steve Gooden, Liz Keating, and Betsy, maybe Betsy Sunderman will get reelected. It just depends on how well they've connected with the community and how well the community will say, yeah, we'll give them another shot. So it's going to be fun. Wade, your thoughts on the story? Wow, over 40 people running for city council. Amazing. Yep. Yep, sure <laughs> I think is. In 2005, I think was the previous time that they had the most people run. I think it was like 31 people ran at that time. But this is what happens when the people feel that they have to take back their city council, when things have gone wrong on city council and they feel that there's no other uh, resolve but to, to get on council themselves or to run for council themselves. So, uh, so this is what happens. You get uh, 40 plus people that have their name out there. And unfortunately, when that happens, when so many people rush, you dilute the, the voting so that spreads it out so much that you will get some upsets and some people that you would normally think would have made it, uh, they won't make it because the names, so many people are out there. I do agree with Ms. Carter that uh, name recognition goes a long way in, in, in a race like this. Uh, so some of the names that are familiar with the folks, they have a better chance or a better percentage of running than other folks. I'm gonna give you my top nine real quickly. Uh, I see uh, Scotty Johnson, Jan Michelle Lemon Kearney, Greg Lansman, Betsy Sunderman, Charlie Winburn, Liz Keating, young Philip O'Neill, and my two dark horses, one Jim Tarbell with his name recognition. He came in late, but he does have rank, uh, name recognition. And also uh, a person that might surprise folks because he's on the news all the time. Anytime there is something that happens in the black community, usually they go and talk with Peter Mingo. And uh, I think that he has an outside chance just because of that fact that he's on television so much that that gives him a little name recognition. Okay, that's a that's a pretty interesting list. Uh, Suhana, what are your thoughts on this story? Um, John, my thoughts are on this basically, as there are so many candidates participating already, uh, it's quite a crowd. And if there were just uh, one or two unknown faces, they would have still had some chance to shine out. But as my seniors said, uh, I would agree with them. Only the, the people who have a better connection with the community, have more recognition, have a better chance of standing out in this race. Uh, 
I'm not sure about who are the ones who are going to lead or who are the ones who are going to lose. But uh, I'm interested to see how this uh, race unfolds ahead. And uh, in either case, I wish all the candidates all the best for this election. And I feel like, uh, irrespective of how tough the race is, everybody should give their best shot, stay meticulous with the registrations and paperwork and not miss any of the deadlines, not miss any of their events and be as, uh, be careful with uh, how what they say this time and how they um, behave or what the message they put out, how the rallies are conducted, who are the people invited, what are the message they're telling out. So people should be not taking this election lightly despite there is a lot of competition and chances of victory for many are gloom. gloom or Tim, I would say, people should still give their best shot and make this election a very vigorous competition as possible and be meticulous about it. So pretty much these are my thoughts. I hope this election is uh, as interesting as it looks. And moving on to our next topic, the Food and Drug Administration on Monday issued full approval to the two-dose Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. While the Pfizer vaccine has been widely available to all Americans older than 12 for the last few months, it was only available under emergency use authorization order. Top health officials in the U.S. hope that granting full approval to the Pfizer vaccine will alleviate the fears among those who remain hesitant about getting a shot. Andrea, your thoughts on this uh, topic? Well, I'm, I'm, I, I think it's fantastic that Pfizer got full approval. Um, I expect Moderna and Johnson Johnson, um, their approvals will be coming shortly, um, especially now since the, um, the president has been talking about everyone getting a booster starting in September. I, I, I think those people who have given a variation of why they're not getting the shot another argument has been put to bed. And I think now it's time to put up or shut up. And um, also I, I think, um, you know, Pfizer has been on the forefront of fighting this virus. Um, the advancement in technology and developing the vaccines has helped to develop this right now. And I think research is continuing um, in, um, and fighting other viruses that may be that may be stronger than the COVID or the Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus. So I, I think it's a win for America. I think it's a win for the world, actually, that they got approved. And um, let's see what the next steps are in this ongoing pandemic. Uh, Suhana, uh, thoughts on this story? Well, uh, I'm not sure if I'm knowledgeable enough for it, but uh, getting this approval from FDA means a lot of potential for Pfizer vaccine and hope for people all over the world. Well, first of all, it was already in circulation, but I hope as uh, somebody initially, we discussed that uh, it can help when people's trust who might be doubtful that this vaccination is not 100% secure. Mm, maybe after this FDA approval, they might have some faith in it. Maybe this can help uh, the manufacturers expand the resources further outside and increase the number of vaccinations exporting outside the United States and in its territories and our inside areas, which are still suffering. 
in any case it's a good news i i hope nothing happens i hope it's a 100 person actually fda approved because there are a lot of things which are questionable with fda's approval we no, they don't have the, uh, they do let a lot of things pass by. And um, I hope this, the, this is not one of those things that are doubtful in, in, in people's understanding of what should be consumed or not. So I wish the, uh, the Pfizer vaccine all the best and uh, I really, really, really hope that uh, this helps people out as much as it should and as much as we are hoping it should. And I just want to add real quick, I hope the approval of the Pfizer vaccine, I hope that does uh, get more people to take it because in my experience and some of the people I've talked to, they didn't want to get it because it wasn't FDA approved. So I wonder if that will make a difference or if that's is just an excuse because I have a feeling that some people are just using it as an excuse to not get it. But um, but we'll see because um, I read recently, I mean, yesterday, the most recent data said that in Hamilton County, the transmission um, was like 1.08. So that means like active cases are spreading, but slowly. So let's see. Uh, let's see if this, uh, let's see if the FDA approval actually means anything now. All right. So that's it for um all of the top news stories of the week. And we're moving on to the main topic of the show, which um, is about black youth and sports. Um, and like I introduced him earlier, we have special guest Mateus Walton with us. So uh, how you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, you know, just uh, just busy. You know, school just started back for us and uh, I'm, you know, really just busy recruiting and, um, you know, getting ready for fall ball as well, early September, so. Yeah, definitely. Now, I was talking to you earlier, and um, you wanted to you wanted to talk specifically about um, as far as black youth. You were talking about um, uh, baseball in general. Now, why why baseball? Why that sport? Well, that's the only sport I ever played. <laughs> ever played <laughs> since I was a kid. But uh, I mean, I, I I guess from from my perspective, when it comes comes to that in the inner city. Uh, it, it, it seems to me like, and it, I mean, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. It just seems like it's more and more young men that's uh, going towards the football and, and basketball route. And it's been like that for years, though. Um, I just feel like, you know, it, it should be more emphasized again so so young men in the, in the inner city can play baseball. I feel like it's not it's not as much as it used to be when I was coming up, you know. You know when I was coming up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it was it's years ago it seemed like it was more i guess african americans that play baseball uh, of course we have the rbi programs and stuff like that in inner city uh to help that out um you know to help get more african american young men involved but i just think that you know uh maybe we should we should revive that you know what i mean and, and get them more involved in all three sports or whatnot especially baseball uh, baseball is a great game yeah, I've noticed that too over the years because, you know, back in the day, you know, baseball was the thing and you had a lot of um, black kids in baseball, but, but for some reason, you know, it's, it seems like now it's more, you know, it's more um, football and basketball. Why do you think uh, more black youth have, have gravitated, you know, away from uh, baseball? Yeah, it just seems like it declined a little bit, but I would, I would say, uh, 
I don't know. I guess it's the it's, you know, like I said, I guess, I guess with the uh, my opinion, I, I would say like you know, like guys like LeBron James and all these guys, they see that and it's just like they maybe they feel like they can instantly come into a lot of money soon. Um, you know, even in football, whereas opposed to baseball, as you guys know, obviously, even if you coming out of college or you coming out of high school, you're going directly to the farm league. You know what I mean? So you're not going directly to the major leagues right away. Uh, and, and I feel like maybe most guys feel like that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe they don't want to, they want to go directly there, but, uh, but it's a process and it takes hard work. It takes hard work to get there. You know what I mean? So yes. uh, that's pretty much what, what my opinion of that is. I mean, and then again, um, but then again, man, I mean, like I said, overall, I, I just, I, I guess I'm starting to see that it's starting to really increase, like slowly increasing. The, you know, lately I've seen that it's we're they're slowly getting back into it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. they start traveling around the world and recruiting, and, uh, you know, going from city to city and state to state, recruiting guys. And when I recruit, I just don't recruit African American men. Obviously, I recruit black, white, Hispanic. But right. from an Af- but like I said, from an African American standpoint it seems like it's starting to increase, which is good, so. Can I, can I ask a question, John, real quick? Yes, yes, of course, um, jump in. With baseball, uh, I, some of the old timers used to say that baseball has a certain poetry that speaks to um, those who talk of the olden days when the old, the old um, barnstorming system was around for um, black folks couldn't play in the white leagues and that they, they were only able to play in the Negro Leagues. Do you see any of that inspiration now in who you're recruiting right now of that they want to sort of look back to yesteryear and sort of help to emulate those great legendary players in today or no? When you say emulate, you're talking about like as far as the old players, like they'll look at the old players and kind of like... Like look at the old players and see how hard what they had to do. It was more about not just playing the game, but entertaining. Okay. Um, do you see any of the kids who are starting to show interest again in the game? You see any of that old entertainment style coming in with you know the cockiness, the attitude, right. um, the showboatness of baseball, uh, especially among pitchers and um, you know hitters, things like that. Do you see any of that in those you're recruiting, or know it's just about the love of the game? And that's the reason why they're coming back. Yeah, I would I would say so, Andrea. I would say it mainly because they love the game. And, and like you said, that excitement. So yeah, I would say yes to, to that question. Um, um not, not and mainly, like you said, just the, the older, the older generation prior to them. Um maybe I mean I can see it maybe being because of that, but also can see that maybe they starting to see the decline as well. So they you know, getting back into it and stuff like that. But then again, you have a lot of two two sport guys as well, you know, football and baseball. Um, you know, for example, real quickly, you know, I recruited a kid from Cincinnati and uh you know Sycamore High School. He's a two sport kid. You know what I mean? So it's 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 a two sport player, I'm sorry. And he so I would say it can it can it, it really could go different ways, I guess. But like you said, the excitement and the love of it, the passion of it, 
I can see a lot of young men getting back into it for those reasons. You know, you don't see a lot of symbols, great symbols of baseball outside of Hank Aaron. Okay. And a few other great players like um, Willie Mays, Willie Mays, Joe, Joe Morgan. Um, you don't see anyone showcased outside of the 70s. Right. So what is sparking the interest back into baseball? Because, you know, no one's championing it <laughs> unless you're from Japan or from Cuba. Um, I, maybe, and, this, and again, this is my opinion, guys. I think maybe the young men are doing their history. Maybe they're looking back into their history where they're looking at guys like, uh, you know, Joe Morgan and, uh, you know, a lot of maybe some of the former Cincinnati Reds or Cleveland Indians or Willie Mays, as you say, or, you know, just different guys, like not even just in the 70s, but like in the 90s as well. Uh, King Griffey Jr., Frank Thomas, you know, maybe they're doing a lot of their research. Because, you know, YouTube pulls up everything, man, even the older, you know, all throughout the 90s and stuff like that. And you'll be amazed how many recruits know about King Griffey. Like, <laughs> he was like in the 90s, man. Most of these young men wasn't even born then. So uh, I really think that it has a lot to do with them doing that research and just really just, and, then, and again, this is my opinion, you know, they doing their research and, and, and kind of finding their niche and loving the game again and knowing how important it is to, to really get back into it. You know, okay. that's just my thing because, like I said, growing up, that was like one of my guy, guys I looked up to, Ken Griffey Jr. and Kenny Lofton when he played for the Cleveland Indians and and Pokey Reese when he played for the Reds. And, you know, so I'm, I'm, my opinion, I think some of these guys are actually doing their research and looking back on that and just kind of getting back into it. So, Okay, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Wade, did you have any questions for um, Monteus? Yeah, I had a couple of questions. Uh, 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 one, as I looked on the, on some of the things that you were doing recruiting, Rise, you recruited some very, very good players from from the Ohio. You want to speak on some of those? <laughs> yeah, we can we can do that for sure, Wade. Uh, wow. Um, you talking about the recent recruiting class, Wade, or are you talking about like overall? Yeah, the recent. The recent guys that we have from Ohio, we have uh, two twins from Ohio. Uh, I'm gonna start off with them first. Their name is uh, their twins. They, their name is Cade and Seth Mead, and they're from North Adams High School. Two two good players, man. Uh, one guy, one of the guys, one of the players are are uh, he's he's more of a two way. Well, he's a corner guy, so he plays first and third. Uh, very talented corner guy. And then you have uh, his brother. Then you have his brother. His brother more of a two way guy, so he plays the infield. He plays that. He plays the infield, and he also pitches. And then also have also have a kid, Ethan Heim, um, Ethan Heim and, and uh, Chris Silcott, uh, both terrific guys. One is a pitcher, one is a catcher, from Fairfield Fairfield Union High School. And then also have Dalton Hodge from Tecumseh High School, who's a very good ball player, man. I mean, he can swing the bat. Probably can help us. Probably can help us offensively, uh, as well as the defensive end. You know, he and he also has a baseball IQ, which definitely helps us. Uh, but then, uh, and also have one player, uh, Marcus Brugler, from uh, uh, Bella Fontaine High School. I'm, I'm sorry, Bella Fountain High School, and um, and then uh, Andrew Imthern from Tenora High School. Those are pretty much like studs. And what I do, Wade, real quickly, is when I recruit guys, um, I, I normally rate them. So I go average, above average, and then I go, then I go stud, right? <laughs> 
So the stud is pretty much a kid, as you guys may or may not know, um, he's more of a program changer. And then you got the above average guy that can come in and help you. Uh, not necessarily a program changer, but he can come in and he can definitely uh, help you from a cont uh, contributing standpoint in winning games. And then you have an average player, obviously, uh, where he can, you know, maybe he may not play as much, but he's like a spark plug. He can help you in many different ways on the team. Uh, but of course, every coach, we, we definitely go for the, uh, for the uh, game changers and above average guy. So. I know that Wright State is now uh, the last couple of years made it to the playoffs. What what do you think of your chances going forward? Uh, Wright State Lake Campus. Right, Wright State Lake Campus. Yeah, we we you you're, you are you talking about the main campus or the branch campus? I well, I I saw that with Wright State. I just saw Wright State. I'm not sure which one, but I saw they made the playoffs, and I thought right. that you are you guys were uh, yeah, we, pretty yeah, set we, to do the same thing this year. Yeah, we, we did as well. Uh, we did as well as well. Uh, <clears throat> we, we played in the uh, USCAA uh, College World Series uh, for the fifth consecutive time uh, in our division, you know, in our program, which is pretty good because last year we could have we could have made it. We could have made it last year. But then, of course, Kobe, um, it would have been like the fifth time or it would have been the sixth time this year. I think so. But it, because of COVID last year, uh, we went for the fifth consecutive time. So I, I think that we have a shot at, to answer your question, I think we have a shot at uh, going again in 2022 with the guys we have coming in um, and then with the returning players we have coming back. So we definitely have a lot of pitching depth as well. All right, I'm going to throw, throw you a curveball this time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? How do you feel about the aluminum bats? How do I feel about the aluminum bats? Uh... I'm actually okay with it though, way. Eh? You know what I mean? I don't have a problem with it. It's crazy because another coaching buddy of mine, he coaches at University of Dayton. He asked me that question too one time. We had a we had a regular conversation. I'm okay with it overall. I mean, I, I think that I think it's still, I think it's still, I think it's still usable in college baseball. In other words, I think it's I'm okay with it overall. I mean, whether it's aluminum or whether it's wooden bats, to me it makes no difference. As long as the young man can hit, if <laughs> you can hit, we'll find you a place to play. As long as we win the ball games, but but no, to answer your question, I, I I'm okay with the uh, aluminum bats. Okay, well, that was a very interesting discussion, Mateus. I want to thank you so much for coming on uh, our podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, no problem, no problem. I appreciate it, John. And um, like I said, thank you guys for having me. And you know, if you guys want me on in the future, just let me know, and I'll be more than welcome to come back on. You guys are like family real quickly. I was in Cincinnati before. Um, I, I'm sure you guys know that I was at Cincinnati Christian University in the past. So Cincinnati, the greater Cincinnati area is like home in a sense. You know, there's a lot of people there that I'm really, really close with. So I appreciate you guys. Also, is there any kind of social you want to put out there uh, for people to follow you or anything? Yeah, you guys can follow me on Facebook. I'm typically on Facebook a lot more than any other social <laughs> so uh but you can find me you can find me on facebook and uh, that'll be the the key way to get in contact with me well and i also want to give a shout out to my guests andrea wade and suhana thanks for um discussing the top news topics of the week guys really appreciate it and make sure to check out the stories we talked about today on our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, 
Joseph F. Booksellers, and Select Service Stations. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald Podcast. Follow us at the Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on YouTube, too. Just search for The Herald TV. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald, and have a good day.